In the wake of the deadly shooting spree in Nova Scotia and amid a nationwide shutdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a ban on a number of assault-style weapons. The move, he says, fulfills an election promise, but there is controversy over who it targets and what is left out. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with National Post columnist Chris Selly about the timing of the ban and why it may not be the public safety solution that the Liberals want it to be. Don't forget you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically wherever you find your favorite audio. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Chris, we're in the middle of what is kind of a, a really strange time. The whole country is under lockdown due to COVID-19. The federal government is very preoccupied with that and is every day trying to show us how they're supporting Canadians. There's been lots of money for employees and for companies to help keep the country going during what is a tremendously strange ordeal. And in the middle of this, the prime minister and public safety minister rolled out what on the surface appear to be sweeping changes to Canada's gun laws. But when you take a a kind of a closer look, it's not as sweeping as I'm sure many would want. What were the changes that the Prime Minister rolled out last week? Well, essentially, it's a giant list of about 1,500 guns, most of which, and and I'm not a gun expert, but most of which, from what I understand, are are basically what people, (laughs) some people think of as quote-unquote military-style assault rifles, which are not really defined uh, as anything. It's just seems to be more or less sort of weapons that liberals think are scary. This is something that's been mooted for ages. These are guns that are commonly associated with mass shootings, mostly in the United States, although it seems that the Nova Scotia shooter a few weeks ago uh, may have used a weapon that would have come under that quasi-definition as well. Uh, This is something that the Liberals promised in their election campaign last year, but they promised to ban them. And what we have here is not necessarily a ban. They are offering a buyback, it seems, but they also seem to be willing to grandfather in people who want to keep those guns uh, in perpetuity. And so, as is the liberals want on so many files, they've annoyed both sides equally. Mm-hmm. Gun control advocates feel that they were sold a, a pig in the poke, which they were. And people who own these rifles and, and use them for things like hunting are saying, well, you're not accomplishing anything because I'm not going to go kill people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like this Nova Scotia gunman was licensed to own any firearm at all. And so I think that raises legitimate questions, quite apart from anything else, about why we're doing this now mm-hmm. in the middle of a pandemic. And indeed, one of the regulations that comes with this is that it stipulates that no one should try to give back their guns until the pandemic's over. So I don't understand why on earth we're doing this right now, except maybe that the, that the liberals felt like it was an opportune time because of this shooting to ram this through. You say that it's it's 1,500 guns. Is it 1,500 models of guns or is it like a series of guns with different modifications? My understanding is that it's many fewer than 1,500 types of guns, but many, many, many variations of each kind 
of gun. And so they've been incredibly thorough. Well, they've been incredibly thorough in finding all the variations of these specific kinds of guns. But then there's all sorts of other kinds of guns, semi-automatic weapons, that they haven't included because for whatever reason, they don't consider the military style. It's a just a strange preoccupation, yeah. which which I think really is born of, of these mass shootings in the US. You know, the AR-15 is the classic. You know, Mark Lapine used it during the Montreal massacre, and it took 30 years for the liberals to get around to banning it. Even if you think it's a good idea, it's bizarre how long it's taken for them to get around to this. Mm-hmm. We talk about these weapons that are banned are, are semi-automatic weapons, but there's a whole bunch of other semi-automatic weapons that are not banned. And in Canada, fully automatic weapons are banned and high-capacity magazines are already banned. So how does this ban prevent further mass shootings? I don't know if it does. Mass shootings are a tiny contributor to overall gun deaths, even in the United States, let alone here. So there are plenty of semi-automatic weapons out there that are still legal that someone could use to inflict terrible harm. As you say, we have much stricter limits on magazine size than they do in the United States. And so that's that's a key contributor to lethality of any given firearm. So I'm not sure that it does prevent mass shootings. And, and in any event, if you look at firearm deaths, firearm homicides, the vast majority are with uh, handguns, not with long guns. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the liberals are treating as sort of an afterthought, which is just completely bizarre. And again, is something that gun control advocates are saying, well, okay, this is all well and good, but like, it's just strange that you're not focusing on the number one problem. If you think guns are the problem, you should be starting with handguns, clearly. But there are many more handguns in Canada than there are long guns or military-style assault weapons, however you want to define them. And so it's going to cost a lot more money to buy them back. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the only logical explanation I can see for why they're going after rifles and not handguns. In Canada, it's not as easy as it is in the States even to buy a handgun, right? No. And the bulk of handguns that are used in crimes in Canada are likely stolen or smuggled from the United States. So what has the prime minister said about, you know, how it's going to deal with handguns and what the solution is here? Well, he's saying, which is ridiculous, he's saying that he's going to empower municipalities to ban handguns if they want. Well, I mean, (laughs) come on. We don't live in walled cities, do we? (laughs) Guns used in crime are are almost never owned by the perpetrator. Statistics vary as to what percentage of crime guns in Canada are smuggled across the border. It depends on the region, but certainly a lot of them are, uh, the majority by some measures. And certainly if the supply of legally owned handguns in Canada suddenly dried up, so that there'd be none left for criminals to steal, for example, domestically, the potential for the cross-border trade to increase is huge because clearly there's a demand. And the the enforcement is understandably lax because we want to have a smooth flowing border, but it doesn't follow, you know, if we're not willing to slow down the border to stop guns from getting across, it doesn't follow that we should then start harassing law-abiding gun owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, A doesn't lead to B. I mean, we're either serious about stopping this or we're not. One of the ironies... I don't know if it's ironic, but I mean, at the moment, I'm sure we have pretty successfully shut down the cross-border flow in guns because we've closed down the border. <laughs> so it is possible. It's just a matter of how much we want to do it. Yeah, The government has, for the umpteenth time in umpteen years, said we're going to crack down at the border, but they haven't given us any specifics about how exactly they're going to do that without grinding the border to a halt in the long term, and they're clearly not willing to do that. 
You talk about the government talking tough on guns, but not really cracking down either in all areas or in areas where it might make a statistical difference in the amount of guns in this country. On the flip side, as we said earlier, not all semi-automatic long guns are banned under this legislation. So if one gun is banned, but a gun enthusiast can go out in a couple of years and still buy a semi-automatic long gun with a five round clip that just doesn't look like a scary gun as the liberals are kind of setting out to ban, then I guess what is the big deal? Well, I mean, from a gun owner's perspective, the big deal is, I mean, what the hell are you people doing? <laughs> this isn't evidence-based policy at all. This is just, we think these guns look scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. This is one of the things with liberals, capital L liberals in, in Canada, is that if, if you say to them, you know, this policy, this is just nothing but pure symbolism, likely it's not to look back at you and wonder why that's a bad thing. You know, <laughs> what's, wrong, what's wrong with purely symbolic policy? You know, it's why does anyone need a gun? You know, that's the common thing you, you hear. Well, I mean, that's not how it works in a free society. <laughs> you're, supposed to, you're supposed to have to justify limiting people's freedoms. They haven't done any of the work to do that on this front. I believe in gun control. I believe that if you reduce the number of guns in any given country, you are likely to see less gun violence. I think the evidence bears that out. I mean, we live next door to the biggest gun store in the universe. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a plan to do something about that, then you really are just, you're firing blanks. You're inconveniencing people with no real plan to actually solve the problem you're you're aiming at. You mentioned earlier that under these regulations or under this plan, one of the stipulations is you're not supposed to be selling your guns right now anyway. Why are they doing this in the middle of a pandemic when there are so many other concerns around public health, public safety, and even the notion of liberty is kind of taking a left turn right now just due to the fact that everyone is under not forced but coerced lockdown? <laughs> yeah, it is strange. I mean, it's not like they were in need of a diversion. I mean, the prime minister's approval rating is through the roof all of a sudden. God knows they have the relevant ministers, health, public safety, have enough on their plates at the moment dealing with COVID-19. The only thing that makes sense is that we had the massacre in Nova Scotia a few weeks ago and that in most countries, the United States is the exception, but in most countries, new gun control measures follow mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly how it's worked here. You know, it happened in Australia. It happened in, in New Zealand. It happened in Britain. This is how things generally work. And I think that's the pattern we're seeing here is that this was a pre-existing promise and here was an opportunity to bring it in at a time when a lot of people would think it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it is annoying to think that they would take their eyes off the most serious situation uh, in living memory to unveil this policy. And and, and as you say, it, it, it must be doubly annoying for gun owners who are coming to terms with all sorts of infringements on their liberties these days from just taking a walk in the park to be told, well, sorry, you're going to have to give up your guns because some creep in Nova Scotia who wasn't even licensed went on a killing spree. And we don't know where that gun came from as well, right? That we know that it is likely covered under this new ban, but he wasn't licensed to own it. And we don't know whether it was uh, sourced in Canada or the United States and brought here illegally. We don't know. We don't have answers to some of those questions, correct? Correct. But we we do know that he used at least one handgun. Yeah. And yet that's not 
part of this package of restrictions, mm-hmm. which again, if you accept the logic of bringing in new gun control after a mass shooting, you should at least, <laughs> you should at least want them to be focusing on the guns in question, I think. And again, they're not. The vast majority of homicides with guns in Canada are, again, with handguns. Yeah. And that's being treated as an afterthought, which is just strange and, and everyone notices. It's not like the liberals are getting any sort of sustained applause from gun control advocates for this. They're saying, well, okay, fine. Yeah, you, this is only what you promised to do. What about handguns? Yeah. We've been saying that ever since you started talking about this. And they say they're going to come forward with this new plan to allow municipalities to ban them. But I mean, that, that just makes absolutely no sense. If, if you think banning certain kinds of weapons is a good approach, why on earth would you ban a, a certain type of weapon and not the most dangerous, the most lethal kind of weapon out there? It's just, it's completely nonsensical. What about the idea that we're doing this all without parliament sitting to debate this and to kind of have a broader public discussion around this? It certainly makes it a little bit greasier because what's the hurry? Well, I mean, gun control advocates would say the hurry is that we need to do this yesterday in order to save lives. But the fact is, uh, again, it's been 30 years since the uh, Montreal massacre with uh, one of these weapons. I I don't think it would have been impossible to wait a while until Parliament can resume uh, and this could be debated. Now, I'm not sure exactly how far they can go. There seems to be some debate about what exactly they can implement in terms of a buyback program and a ban by ordering council as opposed to what they would actually have to pass legislation to do. So it may be that to actually roll this thing out, I suspect that it will actually require debate in Parliament. I mean, I, I don't think the Liberals are going to try to do this under any sort of emergency powers, because that would just be, well, I wouldn't put anything past them. But I mean, you know, there's nothing about COVID-19 that says we need to ban any kind of gun right now. Uh, the two things are not related. So yeah, it, it just adds to the strange timing, quite apart from anything else. I mean, in the, in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, it's just this weird diversion at a time when everyone should be and is focused on one thing. We've had this discussion around what should I be allowed to do so long as I'm not harming anybody else? The idea that should I be allowed to go for a walk if I'm not sick and should I be allowed to go to the park? And we've seen in Ontario these ridiculous scenarios of people getting tickets that cost them several hundred dollars because they were walking through a park but stopped to let someone else on the path pass them within a safe distance. What do you make around the discussion about what Canada is becoming as a free society amid a pandemic and how that could impact us afterwards? Do you think like we go back to normal, you know, people won't snitch on their neighbors for going outside or how long do you think that this kind of situation is going to last here? I I honestly think it's going to make us appreciate what we had all the more and insist on it. You always have to be careful in an emergency because it's in an emergency that governments try to seize power for themselves. But I don't think that the government is going to want to stop us from going on walks in the park Mm. in the long term. I think there are worrisome things like the idea of setting up an app on your phone that would essentially do contact tracing automatically. You know, I'm glad we have privacy advocates are out there making sure that sort of data collection really is as anonymous as the designers say, and that it's not something that the government's going to sort of try to make a long-term power grab. Mm-hmm. I'm not too worried about that in the long term. I, I, I think, though, that when this is all over, that the jurisdictions that went out of their way to let people get outside are going to be seen as the ones who got it right. 
and the jurisdictions that went out of their way to try to discourage people from getting outside uh, are the ones who got it wrong. And, you know, Toronto, I live in Toronto, and, and here the public health department is clearly erring on the side of not making it easy for people to go outside. So they shut down High Park, which is the biggest park in the city. Every year, people flock there to see the cherry blossoms, and they've and they've barricaded it with police. And I can I can actually sort of see that because I don't understand what on earth it is about cherry blossoms that makes tens of thousands of people come. I mean, they're pretty <laughs> and all, but good grief! Like it, 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 the place is packed. But you know, other cities, Calgary, I know, has closed off streets so that people can go outside and and have space and walk around and bike around. Mm-hmm. And we know that that the evidence is or all the evidence I've seen is that it's basically impossible to transmit COVID-19 outside, you know, through regular activity. And and so I think that's frustrating for people to see in certain cities that are on the restrictive side, you know, to, to, to see people living in other cities where the, where public health is taking a much more sort of, in my view, holistic view of public health, which is to say, it's not just about preventing COVID-19. It's, it's, preventing us from going crazy mm-hmm. cooped up inside and then you have you know situations ottawa seems to be for whatever reason uh the place that's just gone completely over the top with bylaw officers that just seem to be making up laws as they go along as you say um finding people for stopping in a park citing a provincial bylaw that, that says nothing about stopping in a park you're perfectly allowed to stop in a park you can sit on the grass and have a picnic in the park uh, according to the law. I mean, it doesn't say that in the law, but it doesn't prohibit it. Mm-hmm. And so that's always the danger to sort of social solidarity is when you get police officers or bylaw officers on a power trip. Luckily, that seems to have been mostly confined to Ottawa and a few other cities. But I think it's one of the things that we're going to sort of look at in the postmortem because we've never been through something like this before mm-hmm. um, and hopefully kind of develop best practices. And, and I really think that what we'll conclude is that as I say, a, a broad perspective of public health requires people to get outside because we don't know how long this is going to last, right? I mean, we're talking about opening up the economy way before we have the testing capacity in place that everyone says is necessary. So I think we're going to see another spike. Yeah. And then, you know, do we have to go back inside again? I mean, that's going to be a whole other kettle of fish in terms of trying to make people comply with that after months and months and months. And I think you need to treat people like human beings and you need to recognize that they have needs beyond not having COVID-19, especially if they're cooped up in tiny apartments without air conditioning in the summer. I mean, these people need that they need to be accommodated. Exactly. Well, it's certainly it's it's strange times in Canada. And I know we'll be trying to keep tabs on things as they go. And, and hopefully we lift restrictions in such a way that the public health isn't a risk. Chris, thanks for your time. Thanks so much. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Selly. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.